Welcome to the Curly W Live podcast. My name is Kyle Brostowitz and I am your host. First off, I would like to thank you for taking the time to check out our first podcast, wherever you may be listening from, whether it be home, school, work, car, the gym, anywhere you may be checking in. Uh, thank you very much. So in addition to watching the games, as fans, you get your news and information and entertainment from places like nationals.com, MLB.com, our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, as well as the media outlets that cover the team, TV stations, radio, internet, newspapers. Fans over the years have also been able to read about the Nationals on Curly W Live, the official blog of the Nationals. On that site, you've read about our players, coaches, front office, community involvement through press releases, wrap-up posts, written interviews, video clips, etc. So in an effort to bring even more content to our fans via Curly W Live, we we launched this podcast. We hope that we can bring you some stuff that you may find interesting and that you may not find anywhere else. So thank you again for checking in, and we really hope you enjoy what we put together. So as the spring training moves along and we head into the 2017 regular season, we are planning to record a podcast every few weeks. It will depend on the team schedule, other schedules, what's going on with the organization at the time, uh, but we plan on doing this on a pretty consistent basis. Make sure you subscribe to the blog, Curly W Live, so you don't miss anything we put on there. Uh, The podcast will be available there as well as nationals.com, and as we move forward, other places. We will be sure to keep you updated um, as those updates take place. So on this podcast, you'll find um, a discussion of the current team and minor league system, so every time we meet, we'll check in on where the club is, provide you some up-to-date information, game notes, highlights, things like that. But moreover, we'll provide an inside look at Washington's front office through one-on-one interviews, and this is the part that I'm most excited about and what I think listeners will get the most out of. Uh, We aren't just going to stick to baseball on the field either. We hope to give you a bit of an inside look at the organization through interviews with people from various departments. Uh, We'll get into career paths, kind of a what-do-you-do discussion, interesting stories from behind the scenes. You know, when you you settle into Nationals Park at 7 p.m. for a game, a lot has gone on during the day to get to that point, so we hope to bring you some of that insight. We hope to have some player and coach interviews as well. Um, We hope to do... sit down with members of the baseball operations staff in addition to the business operations staff. And we will look to do some other special interviews as the opportunities present themselves. Uh, if there's special guests at Nationals Park, um, you know, we hope to sit down and chat with them. Uh, other chances to get connected with the Nationals family through whatever means possible, whether it's phone interviews or Skype interviews. Um, so we're going to do our best to bring you, you know, content such as that. So this week, our two guests are Mark Shalaba, the Director of Player Development for the Nationals, and Charlie Sloves, who along with Dave Jagler serve as the radio voices of the Washington Nationals. In these interviews, both these guys brought some great insight into their careers, their preparation on a game day, their philosophies, as well as their thoughts on the current club. The first guest on this week's podcast is Mark Schlaba, the Director of Player Development for the Washington Nationals. Mark is entering his 12th season with the club and is a big part of the team that runs Washington's player development and minor league system. As baseball fans, you know that a club's farm system is integral to the success of the Major League Club. And Mark has been a part of the organization for so long, he has had had a hand in development of just about every player that has come through the system. If you traveled to any one of Nash- Washington's affiliates, Syracuse, Harrisburg, uh, Potomac, Hagerstown, Auburn, the GCL, the DSL, there's a good chance you'll see Mark behind home plate watching the game and probably on his phone checking the score of the Nationals game. So here's our interview with Mark. I hope you enjoy it. We are here in lovely West Palm Beach today, and with me is Mark Schlaba, the Director of Player Development for the Washington Nationals. 
Uh, thank you, Mark, for joining us today. I know it's a very busy time, spring training, but um, first off, how does it feel to be the first guest in the history of the Curly W Live podcast? No, it's quite the honor, Kyle. It's uh, it's great. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, this facility we just moved into is outstanding, so it's to be part of the first podcast is an honor. All right. Well, <laughs> Mark, for those who don't know, Mark's entering his 12th season with the Nationals, and in his current role, he works with uh, Doug Harris on all aspects of the player development system, things like contracts, roster management, uh, budgeting, uh, the Dominican Academy operations, and player personnel decisions. He joined the Nationals in 2006 as the baseball operations assistant after working for the Brewster Whitecaps and receiving, receiving his degree from Williams College and his master's from UMass. Uh, so my first question, Mark, uh, was a career in baseball always something you strived for and looked to do? As a child, I was brought to baseball, loved sports growing up, but really through college is when I started realizing that there was a chance that I would have an opportunity to pursue my interest in, in um, the game, but also kind of combine my business acumen, the economics degree, and some of the psychology courses I took. I really felt like I could um, combine that into something down the road and, and work in the game possibly. So um, that combined with some experiences along the way uh, when I was at UMass Amherst for my sport de- uh, management degree and my MBA. I worked with the Pirates. I worked in the Cape Cod League, and those those uh, opportunities um, you know, provided me a chance to meet some people in the game, some tremendous mentors um, that uh, helped propel my career into working for the Washington Nationals. So right now we're on March 4th, we're recording this podcast. Um, early camp is in full swing, um, and I believe the rest of the minor league system are starting to report right about now. Is that right? Yeah, we have uh, we have our early camp has been um, going for about 10 days now. Our pitchers and catchers are here. Their first uh, workout is this afternoon, and then we'll have our position players here on the 7th. So we stagger the groups, and uh, it allows us to um, have a little more hands-on approach early on with a lot of our young prospects. So what's the process like getting – I mean, we have 65 guys in big league camp, but in minor league camp we have, what, 250 or so, 300 players? What's the process like to get all those guys housing, their physicals, all their equipment, food, things like that? Yeah, we have a tremendous staff here. Ryan Thomas is our director of minor league operations, and he does an awesome job of basically taking – um, the approach that we want to provide these players with the best uh, environment to, to do their job, to learn, to, to grow. And, and J.J. Esteves, our, our manager in minor league operations, um, helps uh, particularly with our Latin American players, but also um, all the players as a whole. And, and really, you're, you're trying to provide them with an environment, um, the hotels, like you said, the, the food, the nutrition program that we've uh, improved over the years. Really proud of where we are right now with that. We're taking it to the next level this year. Um, but, uh, you know, you're also dealing with travel and, and things like visas and the, that process is, you know, something that always is changing on the fly with uh, different uh, government laws. And there's always a challenge along the way with that. So your, your process really begins well, well uh, early into the off season. You know, you're starting to apply for visas and get everything set up in November, but you're always acquiring new players and, and it's very challenging. So, you know, Ryan and JD do a tremendous job along with, uh, you know, our intern staff here, but we have everything down to you know, clockwork at this point in time. We've been together for a long time. We have continuity, and, and uh, they do a tremendous job. So back to early camp specifically, um, you know, how does it get decided who comes to early camp and kind of what goes on? Is it the same type of spring training uh, practices and workouts just early on in camp? Is it accelerated in any way? Like kind of give fans a, a rundown of sure. what early camp's like. Sure, that the uh, the point of having an early camp for us um, is twofold. One, you obviously get the prospects in here earlier to give them a little bit closer, uh, you know, peer to student relationship, you know, we're going to have 
about 20 staff members, around 45 players, and um, you're going to be able to work on some individual, uh, you know, defense, individual work on the cage, and um, really start setting the tone for pitchers, trying to make sure that they're in their throwing program the proper way. They're they're geared up to start throwing off the mound the proper way. And then secondly, you're also helping provide the major league um, major league spring training camp with uh, players to to help supplement their their games so provide insurance as, as we've seen the past few days we had a couple games uh, yesterday and and uh, some of our young players on the road uh, got in the games for the first time and and uh, had a few hits so Calvin Gutierrez and Sagdahl a few of the names but uh, there's many more that, that participated in the games yesterday so it's a great opportunity for them to get their feet wet get some exposure to the major league spring training but also helps Dusty and his staff to uh, bring over some players to provide some insurance and, and uh, depth for them as well. And then once all the te- players combine, once they all get here in the next week or so, um, do the early camp players kind of, I don't want to say regress, but move back and practice with the players that are getting here? Or are they still you know, somewhat ahead of everybody else? Good question. Yeah, well, the way we structure it today is our first inter-squad game. We're going to play here in about a half an hour, actually. <laughs> and uh, we'll be out in the field playing a seven-inning inter-squad scrimmage. And we'll play, uh, we'll play those uh, games. We'll schedule them out make sure our pitchers start getting some innings on the mound. And, um, you know, so it'll combine at some point closer to when our game start, our official game start on the 16th. So we'll start putting players into into groups um, based upon level um, probably two days before that. Mm-hmm. So they'll have work groups. Uh, we don't necessarily call it Syracuse, Harrisburg, but we'll call it work groups, AAA, AA. And we'll go from there because there's still players coming down from Major League Camp. So it's constantly changing on a daily basis. You have movement um, and you're kind of shuffling players around from team to team putting them in groups where we want to challenge them and but also give them a chance to compete for a position at that level so then once the season begins and you break camp down here how often do you in your role do you get to go out and see each team and do you kind of make it a thick goal to see each team once or twice or how many times through the year sure you know we're going to see as much as we can um, we have a great staff in the minor leagues um, with our with our player development system you know obviously working for Doug Harris I've learned a lot over the years tremendous scout and an evaluator but uh, tremendous leader as well and, and working with Randy Knorr, Spin Williams, Tommy Shields and Jeff Garber at the top of our, our group and then we have coordinators overseeing the programs. We really have a lot of eyes and ears throughout the organization helping provide input with our managers and coaches. So for, for me and, and Doug, we're going to be on the road um, a lot and it's going to be um, broken down basically for me. It's about half the time I'm, I'm in D.C. and then half the time I'm on the road making sure I see each team a few times throughout the year because you see a player in April, it's gonna be, it could be a lot different than hopefully July. You want to see progression. You want to monitor where they are, where they start, and where they end up. And you have to also provide at the upper levels uh, you know, evaluations um, for Mike and the staff in, in D.C. and the baseball operations department to make sure that we know what our depth looks like on a, on a daily basis. Okay, so a lot you mentioned before, you got either guys, non-roster invites um, that are you know prospects, or the uh, minor league extra players come over. And when when guys play well during the games, Dusty always makes it a point to mention that they're they do well at uh, up in the big league games because they're being taught the right way in the minor league level. Um, and he always you know gives you guys praise. If you guys had a general philosophy on the role of player development in our system, what do you think it would be? I would say. Um... You know, I think we have a strong culture, and I don't want to give away too much of what that <laughs> culture entails, but I think we have uh, continuity has lent itself to having that culture. Um, we play the game hard. We do everything, um, you know, with, with an aggressive attitude, a strong work ethic. I think we don't let the little details slide. We, we, um, 
empower our staff. We want to make sure we're teaching the game the way we want it to be played. But uh, there's a lot of details that go into it that I really don't want to disclose <laughs> that makes us unique. But, you know, it's I think it's something that we're very proud of. And I think if you look at the way the players play when they go up to the big leagues and their, their intent and their aggressiveness – um, and then just continuing to learn the game and be a student of the game. And, and those are some of the things that I can, I guess, preach. But, um, you know, I think it starts with, you know, Mike at the top and, and having people like Bob Boone in this organization that has such a long history of not only just playing and at a very high level, but managing, coaching, and then, you know, helping our coaches get better and our staff get better. Um, he's been a tremendous asset to this organization for a long period of time. And, you know, we've had some great, great um, uh, baseball men in this, in this organization that have experience and just learning and listening to them and empowering our staff to teach our players and, and really strive to be the best they can be and not just on the field but off the field and trying to make sure that they're um, at their peak levels at all times. So it's, it's um, you know, there's, there's certainly different ways to skin a cat, but uh, we're proud of what we have here at the Nationals and just a tremendous people. Um, really make this this organization unique, and I think that's a big part of our culture. So to go along with that a little bit, and it's probably a lot of the same uh, tenants and, and beliefs. But when a you know after the draft in June and players start reporting the Gulf Coast League or, or Auburn, is there a message that you or Doug or the player development staff share with them about their first you know uh, foray into professional baseball? Yeah, we just know it's a grind and, and it's a difficult process. I think that's one thing that people take for granted is how difficult. To this this game is to play on a daily basis mm-hmm. and really go from a college or a high school um, environment and in for our Latin players, which we've done a tremendous job, I think, with um, Johnny DePuglia and Sandy Martinez running um, Sandy Martinez running our academy down in the Dominican. Just understanding that this game is difficult. You're going to have failure. Handling failure is an important part of it. Um, but uh, you know we have patience with our players as well, and understanding that you know you're not going to might not have success early on, but it doesn't mean that you can't have it down the road. And we're gonna we're gonna try to develop you as a major league player and and into a major league player. We're not trying to trying to get the best out of you in a ball. We're trying <laughs> to make sure that we um, teach you and and teach each player and provide them with opportunities that uh, will help them be the best major league player down the road. So how do you balance at each affiliate winning? and preparing for the next level yeah i think that's that's always the big debate but you know each individual is different um but we also want to make sure that our our job is to maximize each player's potential um ability and if you if you uh you know we never will sacrifice a player's prospects development a player's development for for the chance to win a game however we also believe that a winning culture is is uh the the best environment for players to develop in so we're going to and, and you compete in all, all throughout these athletes compete throughout their lives. I mean, if it's if it's playing, um, you know, backyard football or playing soccer or playing, uh, you know, ping pong or whatever they're doing, they're always going to be the best. The best athletes are the ones that compete and compete at a high level and they want to win. I mean, you go out here and we're doing drills in the in the backfields. We're going to have competition back there. We want to see who who's going to step up, who's going to compete and and, and want to win. And, and then it transfers into the game later on. And we want we want winners. We want people to compete, but also the, the end goal is obviously to make sure that we maximize each player's ability so that you know we either can provide that uh, player for for Mike and, the, and our staff in DC to uh, be able to move that player or hopefully um, get him in a Nationals uniform in DC. Okay, so for a long time, or for the last couple, I shouldn't say a long time, for the last couple of years, um, the national the strength of the player development system and the minor league system, um, it seems like in the top ten at least by through various publications has been pitching. Um, that kind of transitioned a little bit this offseason, um, and now it seems that speed, athleticism, and up-the-middle players are kind of where the top ten is right now. Do you feel the strength of the system 
um, do you feel the feel the strengths the same way that those publications do with you know a lot of speed and athleticism up the middle? Yeah, I think our our depth right now in our prospects is is more on the hitting side than the pitching side. But um, you know, I think our scouts have done a tremendous job over the years, and like we've moved a lot of talent out of the organization, mm-hmm. obviously. But we graduated some and, and and made some trades. But I think right now we're very proud of the athletes we have in this field. And, and then you look at our outfield crop, and and you look at obviously Victor Robles, but you look at also Andrew Stevenson and Rafael Bautista at the top uh, of the organization. And uh, you go to a younger player like Blake Perkins and Daniel Johnson, who came out of the draft last year. Nick Banks is a bat that's coming. So, I mean, you look at some of these young men, and, and really it's an impressive tool set um, that each one has. And then you look at a player like Juan Soto, who with the, where this, his bat is, um, you know, uh, very advanced for his age. And, we, you know, he's had a nice start to his career. But also just when you watch him take BP, the way his swing um, works through the zone and his balance. I mean, we're very proud of the bats we have right now. And, and we do have some pitching, too. I mean, we, we certainly have some young arms coming. Um, we're very proud of uh, what Eric Fetty did last year. We think he's going to take a big step forward again this year. And uh, certainly have some younger pitchers as well that we're proud of, and Tyler Watson and hoping to see Jesus Lazardo just get off the mound this year for the first time. And um, he's healthy and recovering very well. So, yeah, I, I would say I agree that it really it's tools, athleticism, up the middle, diamond players. Um, and then at shortstop, we have these very young crop of exciting young shortstops and Carter Keyboom, um, who's having a great early camp. And then a young uh, Luis Garcia, Yasel Tuna, and, and uh, Jose Sanchez coming out of the Dominican program with our scouts down there in Giant DePuglia. Um, uh, signed those those uh, three three shortstops last year. So, um, yeah, excited about the uh, the depth there. All right, so a couple fun ones to wrap up, and you can't use any Nationals affiliates for these. Okay. Um, your favorite minor league park to visit or that you have visited on your uh, favorite minor league nickname over the years? Um, I think, you know, it's funny. I may go with one of our rivals, uh, rival teams because I was there last year, and I think I can just say with both, I think the <laughs> Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs <laughs> might be uh, – might be one of my favorite nicknames and i think the ballpark is was uh was pretty unique and, and neat to visit as well so you know i've been through a lot of uh, minor league ballparks and um there's some great ones out there and that was a uh, pretty neat experience so i'll just say that okay and simple, even though it's our rival <laughs> and then other than the well, i qualified it with no nationals affiliates so you're okay there um and then other than the cowboy monkey rodeo in potomac um What's, and do you have any favorite minor league promotions or giveaways? Um, there is a dog, and I can't remember what who it was, but there's this dog that's like one of the best athletic dogs I've ever seen. And just like <laughs> he throws frisbees, and he might throw them like two oh, yards. Frisbee dogs and, are amazing, and he can just I mean the athleticism in that dog. I'm like, I wish my I had one of those, and he can you can teach him. But those shepherds, I think I don't know if it's Australian Shepherd or what it right. is, but they're amazing, and and uh, I'd say that's probably the most entertaining because I'll actually sit there and bear down and watch, <laughs> and I am scouting the dog, I guess. So <laughs> that's pretty fun. He's a good up-the-middle player. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, like you said, you got a scrimmage this afternoon for the early camp, so we'll let you go. Thank you for your time, and I hope you enjoyed being the first-ever podcast guest. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. So thanks again to Mark for joining us and being so gracious with his time. Uh, this time of year, there's a lot going on on the minor league side of the complex, so uh, it's great that he's able to spend about 15 minutes with us talking about his career path and you know some of his philosophies and beliefs on player development and you know giving us a little bit of a look into how the player development system works and how the player development staff uh, goes about their business so our next guest is uh, Charlie Slows. Charlie is the original play-by-play play-by-play voice of the Washington Nationals he joined the club in 2005 and 2017 marks his 20th consecutive year calling Major League Baseball games his 25th over overall 
So in our interview with Charlie, we talked about you know the new facility, uh, his history with the club, his game preparation. Uh, and then we got into some of his thoughts on how spring training is going so far and uh, some of the new players on the club that we've been able to look at for the first time. So here's our interview with Charlie Slows. So welcome back to the Curly W Live podcast. I'm very honored to be joined by Charlie Slows, the radio voice of the Washington Nationals. Uh, we are coming to you from the radio booth at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches where this afternoon the Nationals won an exciting uh, 5-4 game win, had an f- exciting 5-4 win over the neighboring Houston Astros, Andrew Stevenson with a walk-off hit in the bottom of the ninth inning. So my first question for you, Charlie, is your walk-off call in mid-season form? Or are you still in spring training form? Or where where are you in your, spring tr- in your preparation? Well, I, I'd probably say at this point we're close <laughs> to being regular season ready. It really doesn't take Dave and I that long to get a rhythm. The hardest part of these spring training games at some point is remembering who's on the field at what position when you get late into the games and you've had multiple changes in positions. In particular, this game, we saw the Astros lose their DH by putting him into the field. John Singleton to play first base in the bottom of the ninth inning. We don't know if there would have been an inning after that. Probably not. Hope maybe not. They, they wouldn't have done it. But uh, we'll see how that would have played out. But the Nationals ended up winning the game. And uh, Stevenson's been a guy that uh, Dusty Baker's been impressed with, speed. Uh, he puts the bat on the ball. You can't steal first with that speed. Right. So he put the bat on the ball to get on base, and he's been impressive both uh, as an offensive player and looks pretty strong in the outfield. I mentioned that to somebody today. It seems like every it seems like he plays every spring training game, and every time he plays, he does something. Uh, he's really good at going back on the ball. I remember a game in Jupiter uh, about a week ago. Uh, the wind was about 40 miles an hour in and swirling, and he, he had some balls go out to him in right field. He turned his head sprinted got to a spot and was ready for it and uh, was pretty impressive um, so we're here at the ballpark of the palm beaches um, you've done a few games you're here for some of the workouts what are your overall impressions of our new facility and um, you know what have you thought so far well i think it's tremendous and you know they're going to be working on it probably until july i'm told finishing touches and then figuring out what things they want to add or you know redo for next year but uh, i think the facility is great it's great for the fans more than more than anything Tremendous facilities for the players, upgrades from, from what they had in Vieira for, for a facility that was built for the originally for the Marlins in 1993. And, you know, the, all the fields are just outside the clubhouse, the back. There's no long going down the road of the minor league complex. And, you know, just tremendous weight room. You know, they have the therapy pool, kitchen, dining area, everything they could need for amenities to do what they do. Uh, proximity of, of of all the fields, the fans being able to watch everything. And then, you know, you, you've got a state-of-the-art ballpark, open concourse. So if you're going to go get something to eat, you don't miss the game. You can actually hear the game being broadcast around the park as well, which th- they couldn't do in Vieira. So. And, and you know what? Uh, I haven't heard many people talk about it because you, you start to just almost assume that it's going to be like this, but they were able to mirror the main Nats HD features on the scoreboard and video board here which is state-of-the-art, and really, I haven't seen anything, maybe some of the newer parks in Arizona are like that. I haven't seen anything like that in spring training. Yeah, and to go along with that, uh, we noticed out on the practice facility, practice fields, field one and field two are shaped like Nationals Park in terms of dimensions and the wall height and wall cutout, so it's helped the outfielders a lot this spring. A guy like Adam Eaton, who's never really played in Nationals Park, can go out there and you know get balls off the wall, go back on balls, find out where all the nooks and crannies are in the outfield. So I believe when the Astros play, it the scoreboard takes shape of their right. graphics, their arts too, which is which is really cool. 
Um, so what we want to do in this podcast a little bit is when we when we meet with guests is talk a little bit about their career path and their preparation for games. Um, so for you, you graduated from Fordham and from there went to KMOX in St. Louis and eventually worked your way up through various stops before becoming the voice of the Bullets, Washington Bullets in 86. Stayed there until 1988 when you become the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Rays. And then from there in 05, as we talked about in the intro a little bit, you um, you joined the club in February of 2005. And I know I've talked about this with you a little bit off camera or off, uh, you know, off the record a bit maybe, but... Um, that that spring in February 2005, when you became the voice of the Nationals, what was that transition like? Because uh, well, everything was changing, and it, it just seemed – I know you've told me before, but it, it's a cr- pretty crazy story from what I remember. Well, it, it was interesting because I kind of knew at, late in the 2004 season in Tampa Bay that the, the broadcast situation had a really good chance of changing because the, uh, the radio company owned the rights was not going to renew, and the club was faced with either getting another uh, – rights fee from somebody else or taking it what they call in-house buying the airtime and selling themselves and what it turned out to be was they were going to buy the airtime and they weren't going to spend the money on radio broadcasters that the radio company was paying before so it kind of went through all the way to february when i found out i wasn't going back to tampa bay at the same time i was talking to people who were going to run the nationals uh, Tony Tavares and Kevin Ulick for Major League Baseball because the team was owned by Major League Baseball or in essence the other 29 clubs owned the Montreal Expos as they were becoming the Washington Nationals and it wasn't until February 24th that they called me and they got a go-ahead <laughs> from Major League Baseball once they had were pretty sure they secured a stadium deal for the Nationals that would be Nationals Park in right. 2008 and they were going to play three years at RFK Stadium at that point that they said, okay, we can go ahead and hire radio broadcasters. And we were literally a week away from the first game. They said, are you available to do a game next Saturday? I said, I am. Can you guys get one on the air that quickly? And it was pretty much like that. Within a few days, I was driving to Vieira. The first game was against the Orioles in Fort Lauderdale. And uh, there we went. Did you – I mean, in terms of knowing the players and studying the roster, what was that like for you? Did Were you kind of looking at them from afar from the beginning, or, you know, did you was it kind of like a cram session that last week? Kind of both. I mean, you know, I had a look on a chance that, you know, I knew I was in the running, whether it would come down to the end that I would be the guy. I had an idea of the roster and read up on the Expos a little bit, but then even more so as a crash course. But, you know, as soon as I was hired, like two days later, I was in Vieira and, and spent like, you know, four days of, you know, getting to know the team before I was going to broadcast the game, but still, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> it's, you know, and and having been in the American League, seeing the Orioles, that was team that I probably did more preparation right. at that point on my own team, so to mm-hmm. speak, than I would the other way around. Right. Whereas normally, when you get into the season and you're you're facing other club, you know your team. Right. Your preparation is mostly what you're going to talk about with the other team. Mm-hmm. So that's a good transition in terms of preparation. I'm always curious. You know, we play at seven seven o'clock on you know in April. Um, from the time, kind of, I guess you wake up in the morning. Um, from there, what's your preparation like? From there until first pitch, and then in game, what are you doing? What adjustments are you making? What are you trying to to figure out in game? Well, it in this day and age, and it, and it seems as you know for your job, mm-hmm. preparation could be if there was twenty four hours in the day that you could stay awake, you would right. be continually preparing with the amount of information right. that's available now on the web and from baseball reference and from fan graphs. It's, mm-hmm. it's just endless streams of information. But, you know, we try and combine not only numbers, but, you know, stories about the players, 
background. And so, you know, the first day of a series is is the first time we play a team at the beginning of the year. And the first time, first day of a series is the most preparation, updating what I like to have in a notebook. Really, it's kind of something I started doing from the NBA. I don't have to do it. I Mm -hmm. can do a game without doing it, but it's a comfort level of what you have in front of you. And uh, in the, when I worked in the NBA doing the bullets, you only had so much space at the press table yeah, when you were on point. when you were courtside right. that you couldn't just well I'm going to flip through media mm-hmm. guy I'm going to put this book this book this book out so I would condense everything mm-hmm. into to like one page that included every player which is a little different than the NBA because right. there was only 12 players right. on a roster back then and so I kind of adapted that to to the computer age of baseball where you where I build a file on each player and it, it'll have their run of statistics, other information that I want, basic bio kind of stuff, mm-hmm. uh, notes about transactions, injuries, basically taking information that's in all different places and kind of putting it in one spot. Cause so you don't have to the, click over. And, it's like the yeah. speed of finding right. something. And then during the game, I'll use the computer mostly for updates about a town right. scores or if we have to look up something about mm-hmm. a player that maybe we didn't know. But, the, you know, there's so many places to find things. Dave and I still are kind of – I've seen some people at high school games now. They have a program on a tablet that you can hmm. score a game on. It will create a box score and everything. But we'll, we're still right. the old-fashioned <laughs> scorebook. They like to put in the stats that the player has to that point of the year, team stats, standing. So you can look back at any point in the right. year, and not only you'll know what the guy was right. hitting going into that game, and then we also keep a day-by-day handwritten of every player. Wow. So we can go back and look in streaks, even though you could go to baseball reference mm-hmm. and find a streak. Sometimes having it by hand is the quickest right. way to find something. I always think that you guys you guys need things a lot faster than, say, a writer or a reporter that can think about something, take a few minutes to look it up, find it, add it to the article. You guys need to pretty much be ready on the fly with yeah. everything. Yeah, and we kid on the air while well, the interns are at yeah. work looking up something, but that's usually whichever one of us <laughs> yeah. isn't doing play-by-play. <laughs> And sometimes listeners will send us right. stuff. They'll look it up. Hey, when I when I hear us. the word intern, I look – if I'm listening to you, I often when we're on the road and I'm on the trip, I listen to you guys. And when I hear the word intern, I, I open baseball reference or stats pass and try to help you out as fast as possible too. <laughs> that, and that's the whole thing. You're trying to get to something, if you can, before right. the next pitch is exactly. delivered, you know, that kind of thing. So we – we try and stay up on everything as much as possible. We try and, you know, intersperse the you know, scores other games. Right. We have sponsored segment for it in the fifth inning. But, you know, as you get later in the year and games matter mm-hmm. more in the standings, we try and stay on top of it. If someone's throwing a no-hitter, right. we'll, we'll pull that game up, mm-hmm. and, and one of us will monitor that right. game. And, you know, sometimes we have control With of the monitor. dependent race or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's when it really gets fun when exactly. all that kind of stuff is going on. But we're really just a big – series of multitasks going on at once and that's what when you reach the end of the night and you have that adrenaline rush the game's over and the team's won and then you have that little that, that all of a sudden right you got to come down from it a yeah, little bit yeah, and that's when you're like well you're you're sitting most of the time mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that physical but your brain's oh, going right. 12 different directions um so this year the nationals or this offseason i should say um they added a couple of member a couple new guys in the 40-man roster so i thought it'd be good uh, to kind of run through those guys for the fans. Uh, they haven't gotten many looks at them so far, but, um, you know, kind of what have you seen from them so far? What have you thought? We'll start with, um, go by position by position, uh, Austin Adams. Uh, Nationals acquired him from the Angels with Kyle McGowan in exchange for Danny Espinosa. Actually, the second year in a row that the Nationals made a trade with the Angels, sent them an infielder, and received two pitchers, almost to the day that they did the yeah, Unel Escobar. That they, that they did the Escobar trade. <laughs> 
Um, so he went he went 0 and 1 with a 3.05 ERA in 32 games for Double A Arkansas last year. And what noticed what I noticed about him was his high strikeout numbers. Right, 60 we, and 41 innings. We really haven't seen much of him, but mm-hmm. one appearance so far this spring. So in, in another game that I was at that we weren't broadcasting, he kind of he got hit around mm-hmm. a little bit in that one. So he was a little bit wild. Uh, so you know we haven't seen enough of him to really form an opinion of him mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, we, we've seen Jimmy Cordero and the big fastball. Right. But, again, what we heard about him from the Phillies people is, you know, command is a right. big issue with him. Kind of reminds you of Henry Rodriguez going right. back a few <laughs> years. Hopefully he could harness it with that big fastball. Right. Um, another guy, uh, Eni Romero, who actually, as we look up on TV, last I looked, okay, Dominican Republic just took the 5-3 lead. He was pitching for the Dominican, so it looks like he's in line for this win uh, if they can um, finish it off. He was acquired uh, from Tampa this offseason, hard-throwing left-handed pitcher. He's appeared in 76 games across three major league seasons with the Rays. Uh, good strikeout numbers, again, five, 50 strikeouts and 45 and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, for, and I, I've seen him hit the stadium gun readings up to, on him up to, you know, 97, 98 miles an hour. Yeah, that, that's big-time stuff. I think, you know, a lot will depend how the Nationals make up their bullpen, mm-hmm. whether they're going to, you know, three lefties, but that's a luxury for a manager. Uh, you have Ali Perez on a guaranteed deal, mm-hmm. also pitching the World Baseball Classic for Mexico. And you have Sammy Solis, who was a big-time step up last mm-hmm. year, really progressing as a reliever. Right. Sammy's had, you know, a couple – you know, when he pitches a lot, you, you, you worry about his, his ability, you know, abilities to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. He was on the DL a couple of times last year. And so the Nationals have some choices there. Um, and see if if they can keep all three just depends on how they make up right. the right side of the bullpen right um next up moving to position players a bit adam lind um he strengthens i believe he strengthens nationals already strong bench uh, he's been really good against righties in his career um he's in the top 10 in home runs on toronto's all-time home run list um so i think he strengthens the nationals have had a pretty strong bench the last year uh, brought a lot of those same guys back and i think he only makes the bench a little bit better yeah, it's interesting because the Nationals have become more of a left-hand hitting team than mm-hmm. right-handed, right. and he and Clint Robinson are similar in what mm-hmm. they what they do: power bat from the left side, mainly first baseman mm-hmm. who can play a little bit outfield. So it remains to be seen whether they can, like the bullpen, the left right. side, can they keep both of them? Because Stephen Drews, your backup right. infielder, is also left-handed. Chris Heisey is back from the right side on the bench. So that would be four players right there. If they all made it, then your only other is if, the catcher is the backup yep. catcher. Assuming you have seven relievers and right. five starters. Uh, the next uh, Adam Eaton, he's arguably the key acquisition of the off season. Uh, a lot of stuff was written about. You know, when the Nationals acquired him, they acquired him in exchange for Gilito and uh, Ronaldo Lopez. And um, you know, we've seen him work out in the outfield. He, you know, he brings a lot of talent to the outfield. Um, you know, he covers a lot of ground in both directions. So uh, a lot of talk this. Spring has been, you know, where he's going to hit. Where is he going to hit? Um, he's hitting Dusty's lineup in spring training, I believe, first, second, fifth, sixth, seventh. So I think th- it gives Dusty a lot of options uh, because he has that type of approach that kind of translate to, translates to a lot of different spots. Yeah, I, think, I think, you know, Dusty's pretty much settled on Turner being the leadoff batter, it looks like. Because every time I've seen Turner play, he's batted first in the order. Right. While he's moved eating around at the different spots in the order. And because of, you'd have potentially – Murphy and Harper, who batted one in front of the mm-hmm. other, if you had Eaton second, you had the potential for three, three left-hand hitters in a row at the top of the order, which is why I think he, he would look to move Eaton down. You're susceptible to teams with good left-handed right. relievers. You have three in a row like that. So I think he'd like to bat Eaton second, but then 
how do you break up Harper, Harper and the lefties? Yep. You know, if if you get a lot of offense from say Jason mm-hmm. or Ryan Zimmerman, then maybe you pop them in the middle of Murphy and Harper, Let which them about is three, yeah. how they started last year. Right. But when Zim didn't hit, that, that changed mm-hmm. everything. Uh, next up, he actually made his de- national spring debut this afternoon. Was Matt Weeders, uh, late addition to the club, acquired February twenty fourth. Um, Four time All Star, Gold Glove winner, hit seventeen home runs and sixty six and sixty six RBIs in one hundred twenty four games for Baltimore last year. Um, Switch inning catcher, like I said, today was his first action. I think he only played three innings. Um, but like I said, big addition late in the spring that only lengthens the Nationals lineup. Yeah, veteran catcher, uh, switch hitter with power. Uh, another year removed from that Tommy John surgery, so defensively throwing the ball better. And seemingly nothing gets by him. You don't right. see him ever have a lot of pass balls. One, I think one last year yeah. or nothing yeah. maybe. And you're going to help pitchers not record right. wild pitches he keeps balls in front of mm-hmm. him and they don't move up um you know that was a difficult situation for the nationals in that wilson ramos had his career year right. his best year and the unfortunate injury mm-hmm. with a week to go in the season blows out his knee or what matt weeders probably not here ramos right. been a free agent but if he's healthy pretty good chance the nationals would have been interested in re-signing right. him and ramos would have wanted to stay so that that changed a lot in the offseason first with trading for uh, Derek Norris mm-hmm. and then now signing Weeders. So the Nationals have depth at catching a veteran who's good at handling the pitchers. I'm, I'm really looking forward right. to seeing him on an everyday basis because I'm glad he's not hitting against us right, that, over the years. Uh, he, he killed the Nats mm-hmm. in those series with the Orioles. Yeah, it makes the lineup pretty strong one through eight with him, um, you know, wherever Dusty decides to settle on him. And the last, uh, the, mo- the latest addition was Joe Blanton, um, Nationals saw him in the postseason last year. Uh, he had a strong 2016 campaign, went 7-2 and two with a 2.48 ERA, uh, career 75 appearances for the Dodgers. And, and we've all known Joe Blanton as baseball fans for a long time as a starter uh, with Oakland and Philadelphia, won a World Series uh, with Phillies um, as a teammate, Jason Worth. And you know, since he converted the relief role in 2015, uh, he's posted a 2.2 ERA, 28 holds, uh, more than has struck out more than a batter per inning. Um, so he's a guy who's – late in his career has made quite the transition and uh it's pretty amazing that he was you know unsigned up until i believe march 2nd when the nationals swooped in and and brought him brought him on board yeah you go back a couple of years he didn't pitch in the big leagues right. he missed missed the entire year at that point in his career uh, you talk about when he was a starter whenever he seemed to do well he would get hurt he mm-hmm. just couldn't seem to stay healthy and uh again like weeders the nationals could not touch him they mm-hmm. could not hit him right. last year with the Dodgers, so I'd rather – if you can't, On our side. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't beat him, join him, so right. to speak. And uh, he said when I talked to him in the clubhouse uh, last weekend, he said, hey, you know, I'll, I'm, whenever they want to put me in a game, mm-hmm. he goes, it's, it's not because I wasn't here that I'm not ready. Right. I'm ready. Right. I just wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him pitch here on uh, Friday. Yeah. He was lights yeah. out in that strong, one. Strong seventh yeah. inning, yeah. Lights was, out on like six pitches. Yeah, it's like he didn't uh, – he, you know, it's like he was ready to go. Like you said, he was he hit the ground running when he got here. Uh, he worked out, I believe, with the junior college back home through to those kids. He looks all, like all he's in, to me, the best shape. physical great, shape yeah. that he's ever been in. Great he shape. looks like he's dropped some weight, mm-hmm. and uh, he looks really good. I think that gives them depth in the bullpen where they figure out who's going to be the closer right. out of the gate, whether it's Sean Kelly, who certainly has the stuff mm-hmm. to strike out. You, you want it to be a strikeout right. pitcher to be the closer. Swing and miss stuff. 
There's all questions last year. Would they pitch him three days in a row? They didn't want to do right. that. Closer, you might have to pitch four times in six days or five and seven if your team's hot mm -hmm. and those opportunities come up. Will they do that with him? Because Dusty said he does not want to go mm -hmm. with multiple closers. Right. And so, again, uh, now that you have Blanton here, it just lengthens – what you might do, Blake Trinan has closer type right. stuff as well with that heavy sinker, right. the slider, and last year really stepped up as far as being able to get left-handed hitters out, which two years ago was a struggle for him. Mm -hmm. And so that when he when he had a high average against him with left-handed hitters, it made him more of a, a right-handed specialist. So there's definitely options. And then there's Coda Glover, who's looked tremendous this spring, but very little experience right. at the big league level. He's been a closer all throughout his minor league career. Maybe he's the guy best suited to do it, but is he the guy right out of the gate right. at the start of the season? Dust, Dusty's been asked a lot about this since the start of spring training, and, and so have Blake Trine and, and Sean Kelly, and a lot of them, a lot of their answers, it's been very positive. And, you know, I think Sean Kelly was one who said it was, a, we don't have no closers in here. We have a lot of closers in here. And uh, Dusty's made mention a couple of times. There was one time, you know, where Mariano Rivera didn't have any saves. And look, you know. He was a setup guy. Exactly. Exactly. So, I think um, I think Dusty, like you said, he has options. There's three really strong candidates, and um, it's better than having zero options. I think right. that's, that's kind of what he's gotten at. They all have the stuff, and, you know, it's only in recent years that guys would come to the big leagues as closers right. from the minor leagues. It used to be it was they were all starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. Everyone was a starting pitcher. Everyone's a starter, yep. <laughs> until, you know, there weren't enough mm -hmm. roles for them. It's, okay, we're going to put you in the bullpen, and then you'd go in the bullpen and you weren't a starter. And it, it was just an evolution that right. eventually you had success as a reliever. You had the stuff. Somebody else faltered. They tried somebody else. You become the guy. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It's, it's March 12th right now. So um, the Nationals will enjoy their second and final off day of the season, of the spring season on Tuesday. Uh, Which is odd to have this, the last the, off day that early. Right, right. <laughs> and then the, their next off day will be the Sunday before opening day. Um, you're back on the air tomorrow, right? Yep, we have tomorrow, and then we have two games next weekend, and mm -hmm. then Friday, Saturday, the following weekend. Okay. And then we have the two games, uh, one in Washington and the one at the, the Naval Academy before we, uh, we go get for this real going. Yeah, three absolutely. weeks from tomorrow. Absolutely. All right, Charlie, well, thank you for spending your time with us this afternoon, and um, look forward to listening to you on 106.7, 1580, and 1500 the rest of the spring, and um, thanks again. You got it, Kyle. Thanks again to Mark and Charlie for joining us on the first ever Curly W Live podcast. So looking ahead at the schedule, uh, the Nationals will enjoy their second and final off day of spring training on Tuesday, March 14th. From there, Washington will play every day until April 2nd, their final off day prior to opening day at home against the Miami Marlins. So be sure to check out Nationals.com for broadcast schedules and information so you don't miss a minute of the action. So we want your feedback on the podcast, so feel free to tweet at me, at Kyle Brostowitz, or at Nationals with your thoughts, and you know, feel free to leave comments on Curly W Live as well. And just a reminder, you can always find the podcast on Curly W Live, Nationals.com, and more locations as we move forward. So until next time, Nationals fans, thanks for tuning in, and tell your friends. 